This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is www.gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Pete Payne, pastor at Grace Church. We are going to continue this morning in the book of James, where we've been for a, a number of months now, in James chapter 4. Before I get started, though, I want to present three images to you, just to keep in mind. So if you can use your imagination a little bit with me. Right over here, uh, Jesus told a story in the Gospel of Luke about a certain Pharisee who went up to the temple to pray. So right on this corner of the stage, I want you to imagine this Pharisee. And as he comes to pray, you might recall the story, he basically starts his prayer with, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men. And he goes on to talk about how great he is, and that's his prayer. So by what he speaks and by the way that he acts, we learn certain things about him. We learn kind of what he thinks about himself. Over on this corner, where Jeff and Tim normally stand, so I wanted you to think of this guy when you think of them leading worship each week, is another man that Jesus told in the same story, and that is a, a tax collector, kind of a, uh, a guy that wasn't really highly thought of in that society. And the way he's praying is really on his face. He wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, Jesus said. And he cried out this prayer, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. So those two images, and the third one, which is uh, not out of the Word of God. It's out of a book called The Tablet, which is a children's story, part of a group of stories called The Imager Chronicles. There's a girl in here at the beginning of this story. We meet a girl named Denise. So we're going to pretend that Denise's picture, you can imagine what she looks like, is up on the screen. Denise is a girl who's had a difficult life. Her father left her mother when she was a little girl. She, uh, they, he, she and her mother have gone through difficult times. They never have enough money. They have to kind of pull things together. They, they uh, just have a tough life. And um, as, we, as the story opens, Denise is in the hospital sitting beside her mother's, dead beca- her mother's bed, not her mother's dead, but her mother is in the hospital bed because she's fallen from a second-story window as she was trying to change the screen, and her leg is broken. And so Denise is dreaming in the chair, and then she, she wakes up and just starts to complain about life, about her father leaving, about the fact that they have no money, about the fact that her mother has to be up on a second-story ladder and changing things. And there's just, life is tough. She doesn't like her life. So she thinks to herself these things. Why had mom fallen? Why did things always go wrong? Why was life always so hard? Of course, Denise knew that Imager, that's God, loved her. After all, she'd been to the center. She'd even been rebreathed. But sometimes that love seemed so far away. Sometimes it seemed as if Imager had forgotten or that he didn't know or worse yet, that he simply didn't care. And she said to herself, it would be a whole lot different if I were in charge. She mumbled as she drifted in and out of a fitful sleep, a whole lot different. Later in the story, Denise finds a tablet, and she gets her wish. She finds a tablet that whatever she writes on the tablet comes to pass. So the first, one of the first things she writes is, thinking of her mother, no pain. So her mother experiences no more pain. She still has a broken leg, 
And now she's running around on her broken leg, which is getting worse all the time, but she experiences no pain because Denise, on and on, continues to try to create a better world than the one that she lived in, and you can imagine where that story goes. We're going to continue today in the book of James, chapter 4. James is coming to us as a teacher, and just as these stories, the Pharisee over here, the tax collector over here, Denise up here, what they say and what they do, how they speak and how they act reveals what they think about themselves and what they think about the world. James is concerned that we answer that same question. He wants us to, he wants us to know that the way that we speak and the way that we act speaks loudly, reveals who we think we are. So the question he would raise for us this morning is, just who do you think you are? Who do you think you are, Pharisee? Who do you think you are, tax collector? Who do you think you are, Denise, as we think about her story? And then for all of us, for his original readers and for us today, just who do we think we are? The way that we speak and the way that we act reveals to a watching world who we think we are. So before we jump into the passage, let's let's pray together, and then we're going to talk about what James has to say about this. Father, thank you this morning for being with us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to your servants in past ages and giving them the revelation of the way that you think. For what you speak and the way that you act reveals to us who you are. We ask, Lord, that increasingly we would be aware of who you are and we would align our lives with the truth of what you've said about yourself. So, Father, I pray for each one here today that they would hear your word. They would hear it for what it is, the word of God, and and that each of us would be allowed by your grace to respond in ways that bring honor to you and that reflect your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The longer I, I study this book, the more I like it. James is a great teacher, and if any of you have, can think back through your school days, some of you are still in them. For some of you, it's a distant memory, and you're glad that it's a distant memory. But when people teach, uh, the theories of education go like this. It's a spiral. We start out in first grade, second grade, learning the alphabet. We learn letters, and we learn, and we learn numbers. And then as we get a little bit older, we still use those numbers, but we go a little deeper. We put words together and then sentences and then paragraphs and then research papers and all kinds of fun things like that. And we go from one, two, three, four, five to putting two apples with two apples and figuring out that that's four apples. And finally, we get up to advanced math and we all throw up our hands and say, it's over my head or whatever it is. But the, the, the teaching gets increasingly difficult, intense. So that's called a spiral We keep coming back to the same concepts and we add them and it gets increasingly complex. Well, that's what James has done for us. This is not just a random group of thoughts that cross his mind and he just pops out whatever he's thinking. He's doing exactly what a good teacher will do. He keeps coming back to the same themes. Themes like count it all joy when you encounter trials and things like the law, this this perfect law as we stare into it. There's all kinds of themes that we've studied over the course of our time in this book, and what you're going to hear today is a lot of those themes coming back 
in a more intense way. He's going back over them again, and he's going to keep hammering on these points. Because what he's doing for us is saying, as a teacher, as a great teacher, I've observed my class. He knows the people he's writing to. He knows of their situations. He knows the difficulties that they're, that they're going through. He knows all of these kinds of things. He knows where they're starting, but he also knows where they need to be. And so as a good teacher, he begins with his observations of where they are. Where are you living? What's your worldview? What's the world look like that you live in? What are the rules? Who's in charge? All those kinds of questions. Then, as he makes those observations to us, he brings us over here and he says, this is how it should be. For example, in in one of the sections of this book, he says, look, brothers and sisters, out of the same mouth, out of your mouth, comes blessing and curses. This should not be. So he takes us from what is, his observation, and he takes us over to what should be. That's the world we live in, and he's saying, there's a different world that I want to tell you about. So that's what a good teacher does, and he's increasing in intensity. I'm going to read the entire of ch- entirety of chapter 4 to you. Uh, we're going to look at verses 11 through 17 in particular, but I want to read the, the whole chapter to you because I want you to hear, as he's gone over, things like faith. And things like uh, the faith of, or the faith of demons and, the, and other issues that he's brought forth. Other specific topics, these building blocks of a worldview that he's put together for us. I want you to hear how they become more and more intense as he gets to chapter 4. Let's read together. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you don't have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it's to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And then our text for today. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yeah, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him 
it is sin. So James calls us to answer this question as we just have reviewed. We're going through it. We're getting increasingly in-depth into his teaching. Just who do you think you are? Just who do you think you are? You hear that in his language? Who are you to judge your neighbor? What is your life? Who do you think you are? And more importantly, who do you think he is? Just like with the Pharisees over here, the Pharisee here and the tax collector and Denise, the way that we act and the way that we speak reveals just who we think we are and who we think he is. So who do we think we are? James, I think, gives us four responses in his observations of the world, in his observations as a teacher, evaluating where is my class starting. He knows where they need to get to, but he as a wise teacher also knows where they're starting. So he's bringing his observations. Here's who he says that we think we are based on him looking at the way we speak to his readers and then to us as well, and also at the way that they act. So he's making observations about the world and the worldview that they live in right now. First one, in verse 11, when we speak evil against any other believer, we think we're superior. When we speak evil against any other believer, we think we're superior. Here's, here's what the word means when, when it says we speak evil. It's talking about evil speech. It's talking about slander, where you're bringing something false about someone else to a third party. But it's talking about more than slander. It's talking about any evil speech, any malicious speech that is designed to put someone else down and make me look better. Anything in that category any little subtle walking away from care group meeting and saying to your spouse or to your friend you're driving home with, did you hear what that person said? What do you think about that? Where there's just a subtle design. I want you to know that I know better than that person, and I am better than that person. When we speak evil against any other believer, we think we're superior. We think we're superior. It's to put someone else in a bad light, whether it's true or not. Maybe true. We often hide behind, but it's true. We often hide behind, but I want to ask for prayer. When in our hearts, there's a desire to be in the inner circle. There's a desire to be the superior one. There's a desire to be known as the one who is spiritual, who's trying to help this other one. But when we speak evil, something that's designed to put another person down, even in the most subtle ways... Jerry Bridges in the book Transforming Grace says, if there is any other Christian in the world that you think less of than yourself, you do not understand grace. There's a, there's a hard-hitting, I think he and James would have been good buddies if they had lived, they, they probably will be one day. There's no distinction, Paul says, all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. There is no believer who is inferior to you. And if we speak evil, if we speak down to any, capitalize A-N-Y, any other believer, 
we think we're superior. So James has observed this, and he's bringing this to our attention. The second thing I think we see in this, also in verse 11 and into verse 12, when we judge, when we judge, and by this we mean assign punishment or consequences or evaluation of worth or place to our brothers and sisters in the Lord, we think we're God. We don't just think we're superior. We think we're God. See how James, according to Douglas Moo, he links the speaking of evil against a brother to what we think of God in these verses, what we think of the, what God has spoken, which is his law. So we set ourselves up as God, as God's equals when we do that. We need to be careful here because Scripture makes it clear that within the church we are to judge. So there's a right kind of judgment, Jesus says, and there's evil judgment. What James is talking about here is evil judgment. Judgment that, again, is designed to say, I know what you're thinking, and you're thinking this. I know why you did what you did, and it's evil. And again, as a superior being, because I've already set myself up there, I'll now just bump God off the throne and I'll take his place and say, you deserve my wrath. You deserve to be mistreated by me. You deserve to be ignored. You deserve the cold shoulder. You deserve to not be in my care group. You deserve for me to say evil things about you because you have done something that has clearly put you in the category of the have not. And I'm one of the haves. So I'm judging you. I'm, I'm pronouncing a sentence on you, at least within this world that I live in. So that's what James is observing. You're worthless. I would have never done what you're doing. All these kinds of things. I can't believe that he did that. All of those kinds of statements reveal, I think I'm God. I think I know the way the universe ticks. I've got this worldview thing totally scoped out. It's in my box, and I am outside the box. I'm God. I do what I want to do. And I, when I pronounce judgment, you've been judged. So again, hear clearly that we are called to judge those that are in the church, but it's, it's from a, a completely different perspective. If my wife is struggling with something that she's fearful about, something that's going to happen, a conversation that she needs to have, or something that's going to happen with uh, a child or a grandchild. or just There's just a temptation to fear. I need to evaluate that. I need to judge it with right judgments, and then I need to come alongside her and say, you know what? Well, even though I'm not struggling with fear over this the way that you are, I understand as a fellow sinner as someone with whom there's no distinction, that you, my wife, I'm called to live with you in an understanding way. I'm called to treat you with respect, as Peter says, as the weaker partner as, and as an heir with me of the gracious gift of life. So I can, I can come to you and I can say, honey, what are you worried about? There's nothing to worry about from the attitude of I'm outside the box. I wouldn't be worried if I were in your position. I'm superior to you. As a matter of fact, let me be God in your life right now. Stop worrying. Or I can come as a fellow sinner and say, honey, I've been fearful about things too. I'm not fearful about this, but I understand. Let's pray. I think you're fearful. I don't think you should be. That's right judgment because it's coming as a fellow sinner as opposed to somebody who's saying, I wouldn't have this problem. What's wrong with you? The words might be the same, but the heart is completely different. 
as we come with judgment, with censorious judgment, as Jonathan Edwards would say, we are putting ourselves in a place where we think we are God. How we speak and how we act reveals just who we think we are. The third point I think James would bring us in both verse 11 and then at the end in verse 17, when we judge or evaluate the Word of God instead of obeying, we think we're better or wiser than God. That was the very thing that Denise was giving into as she contemplated her life, as she looked at the trials and the temptations that James would say to her, Denise, count it all joy that you encounter this. Instead, she was thinking about them, looking at them from her position of superiority, her position of judging those who had done wrong to her mom, including her dad, and then saying, if I ran the universe, things would be different. So now what you've done, you're not just superior to fellow believers. You're not just equal with God. You're over God. You have given in to the very lie that the enemy brought from the very beginning. You can be like him. As a matter of fact, he's a liar. That's what Satan said to Eve. He doesn't want what's good for you. You can be like him. You can be superior, Denise. You can write on the tablet. You can fix all the mistakes that he's made. So when we do that, as we're called, as we've heard from James, we're called to be hearing doers of the word. We're called to obey. We're called to know the right thing to do and do it. We're not called to evaluate whether this is going to make my world a better place or what's in it for me or how does this all fit together, God. I don't get when, when this person has judged me, when this person has treated me with contempt, when this person has done fill-in-the-blank to me, I have every right to retaliate, to judge him back. When this person acts like a fool, God, I have every right to treat him like a fool. That, after, after all, that's what he's asking for. And God, by the way, the way that you've run my life up to this point, what you're asking me to do in response to that, to forgive my enemies, to live by the royal law that gives freedom, you're crazy. That is not the way it works down here. I know better. Move off your throne and let me take over. James says, who do you think you are? When you do that, when you look at the word of God and say, I don't need to do this. I know better. I don't need to respond By turning the other cheek, I know better. I don't need to respond by loving my enemies. Are you kidding me? I know better. Here's the way it should work. I don't need to respond by going to my children and asking them to forgive me. Because as a fellow sinner, even though I brought correction to them, I brought it as one lording it over them instead of as somebody who is at the level ground at the foot of the cross with them. I don't want to do that. I want to be in charge. If I were in charge, Denise says, things would be a lot different. And that is sadly true. It's exactly what James is pointing out. Here's the way your world looks, but let me show you a better world that you can live in. Let me read J.A. Uh, Motcher in this commentary. writes this. Very well, then. 
To disobey his law is to contradict him. To value our opinions above the law is to value ourselves above him. To take up the position of judge is to elbow him off his throne. Where now is the humility and the lowliness before God, which is the essence and the key to the heavenly wisdom? Just a great thought. It's exactly what James is saying here. Who do you think you are? How we speak, Pharisee, and how we act, tax collector, reveals who we think we are. And more importantly, reveals who we think God is. Two very critical parts of our worldview. And then the fourth thing I think James would bring us from the the latter half of this, from verses 13 through 16, is when we place any independent confidence in our plans, we think we have no need of God. We can create a world without him. So not only is he now relegated below us, we're just going to discount him entirely. I can make plans about next year, about how I'm going to spend my money and my time and my talents and my resources. He has nothing to do with that. After all, didn't he say, without a vision, the people perish? I've got to come up with a vision. I, gotta, I need my vision statement. I need to know what I'm going to do. Let's sit down and have a board meeting, husband and wife, company owners, within your businesses and say, let's figure out what we're going to do and how we just subtly shift over to stand up with the Pharisee. I thank God that I'm not like other men. Here's what I do. Here's what I'm going to do. And there's no reference to God in it at all. So you can see how we've just shifted from superiority to other believers, which James then links to judging the law, which James then links to judging God. And if God is no longer relevant... Forget about him. Let's just create our own world where it's dog-eat-dog and I am going to be the big dog. I'm going to win. When we act, when we think in any way with independent confidence in our plans, we think that we have no need of God and we relegate him to a position outside the building sitting with that guy who came in in shabby clothes. So think about positions of leadership. Think about positions of husbands with wives and leading your children. Think about taking vacations. Think about work. Think about school. Is there any place in your life, any place in any of our lives, as if our very next breath did not depend on the gift of breath from him? Is there anywhere? So think about your food, the four F's, your food, and your finances, and your fashion, and your fun, and filling up whatever other blanks. Are any of those done, or thought through, or concluded about, in a way that God is just outside the building and not involved? If so, in your worldview, he is unnecessary. He's relegated to a position outside the camp. This is boasting in our arrogance. Do you see how the Pharisee and Denise are boasting in their arrogance? First of all, they've come to a place of arrogance where they believe that they're equal, at least with God, if not superior to him. So they're already in a place of arrogance, and now they just spew forth from that place. They're boasting in their arrogance. Denise is saying, if I ran the universe, which I'm going to get to do in about two minutes with my tablet, I would do it better. 
I know what needs to happen. Okay, that's what boasting in our arrogance is all about. So here's James now, the, the teacher, the master teacher. He's coming and he's asking this question. Okay, folks, who do you think you are? Your actions and your speech have revealed to me who you think you are. Now, who are you in truth? And the truth is right here. Listen, even though we think we're superior to other believers, even though we think we're equal to who or greater than God, even though we think we can live without God, here's James' answer. You're not God. There's one lawgiver and judge. So the answer in the correct worldview as he's bringing instruction to us, that little A that you've been pronouncing, B, is not a B. Here's what the real world looks like. You are not God. There's one. There's one lawgiver and judge, and you know who he is? He's the one who's able to save, and he's able to destroy. Are you able to save, and are you able to destroy for eternity? No, you are not God. That's the answer. So I've made my observation. Here's my instruction. You are not God. You are created instead to be a hearing doer of the word, to come to this place of having pure religion, to come to speaking rightly, to come to loving your brothers, to come to live and to speak and to act as one who's going to be judged by the royal law. You should be asking me, but James, what is the royal law? Instead of setting yourself up as the one who is God or who's better than God, who doesn't need God. More importantly, though, than who do we think we are, is who do we think he is? Our speech and our actions reveal our opinion, but who is he in truth? James says, I've seen who you think God is. You think he is a non-entity. He's not needed. He's lesser than you. You might call him the higher power, but you treat him as a lower power. As a matter of fact, you treat him as if he's not needed at all. That's what he observes in the world. But here's what is true. Let me give you the true picture of the world. Here's his answer. He is the only lawgiver and judge. The only one. He has the power to save and destroy. Here's what you think clearly from your actions and your speech. Here's what's true. You can live this way or you can live this way. You can live in the kingdom where you get to grumble and complain about every bad thing that happens to you and blame whomever you want to. Or you can live in the kingdom that says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. That says, when you're lowly and when you're in bad situation, just rejoice in your exaltation. You can live in this upside-down kingdom, which is really the right-side-up kingdom. We learn the truth about who we are by first looking at who he is and understanding it in truth. So in response to this, I've got both a vertical and a horizontal application that I'd like you to think about. First vertical, and there's there's three things. Number one, and we're going to sing in just a few minutes, give an opportunity to respond. Number one is rejoice. In light of the fact that there's one lawgiver and judge, and you and I are not him, we are not the one. And all of these things, these hard-hitting things that James has been bringing us, you're adulterers, you love the world, you're an enemy of God. There's one lawgiver and judge, he's able to save and destroy, and guess what? You are not him, and that's a scary place to be. Why do I say rejoice? Because this God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ doesn't look at you and say, 
Who do you think you are? He looks at you and says, who do you think you are? Wandering around in these streets filled with filth and horror and backbiting. Here's who you are. I've rescued you. I've set you in the heavenly places in my son. You're my beloved child. That's who you are. Why are you acting like somebody different? Here's the good news. The only lawgiver and judge, the only one in the true universe, in the true worldview, has chosen to use his lawgiving to issue the royal law. And the royal law says this. I gave my only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He's not through James saying, you idiots, who do you think you are? He's not challenged by us as if we're going to bump him off his throne. He's saying, children, listen to the tone of James through this entire letter. My beloved brethren, that's the Holy Spirit speaking through James to us. My dear beloved brethren, who do you think you are? Why would you wallow, as C.S. Lewis said, in mud pies in the slums of London instead of enjoying this holiday at the beach where everything is glorious, where this one who is the only lawgiver and judge chose to write the law in the blood of his son so that you could be set free. What does he say? Speak and act not like the Pharisee, not like Denise. Speak and act as one who's going to be judged by the royal law, the law that gives freedom. That's how he wants us to act toward him. He wants us to rejoice and say, God, what in the world? As I've wallowed around in in all of the things that I've done, as I've been your enemy, as all these things that James has said are true of me, as I've spoken evil about my brothers and sisters, as I've judged you and the way that you run your universe, and I deserve nothing but your wrath, you've written a law that says I'm forgiven because he paid my penalty. I'm not off, it's not scot-free. Jesus paid. Grace is not free. It cost him. The very one who is the lawgiver, do you hear that? He chose to write a law that makes it possible for us to be reconciled to him. Amazing grace. So first we rejoice and then we repent. Look back at verses 7 through 10. Sorry, I closed my Bible because now I have to find out where James is again. Here, here's, here's what we do. Having seen him and having understood that this world we're living in is the wrong world. And there's a better world. There's a father who says, what are you doing? Who do you think you are? You're not the scum of the earth. You are my child. Now let's start living like this. He says, now submit yourselves, therefore, to God with joy because of who he is. Resist the devil who's your enemy, not your friend, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. The fact that that's even possible, that we get another chance to do that, is amazing grace, which comes to not the Pharisee, not Denise, but to the one who's on his face saying, Lord, have mercy. On me, a sinner. Be wretched and mourn and weep. 
What are we weeping over? The fact that for so long we just said, I want to do it my way. I want to live by these worldly standards. I must be God. And it filters through, and, and we still do it, don't we? We still speak evil. We still speak as though we're superior. All of these things filter through. Let your laughter, this frivolity, which, which says this world is a fun place to be, let that be turned to mourning and your joy over the world to gloom so that you can have true joy, so that you can say, oh, God, thank you for this trial because I understand who you are. You're not somebody who's challenging me to a duel and saying, who do you think you are? You're the one that's saying, my beloved daughter or son, why? Why would you live that way? There's a better way to live. Live by the royal law. Speak and act as one who's going to be judged, righteous, forgiven, joint heir with Jesus Christ. By the law that gives freedom. And then give thanks. Listen, he's chosen to call Jesus guilty so that we could be declared innocent. That's his prerogative. He's the only judge and the only lawgiver. Thank God that he alone is that. Because if we were the judges, what would this world look like? Thank God. Don't resist him. He's perfect in all of his ways and he loves you. Give thanks. He decided to condemn Jesus to death in our place that we might be allowed to live in and through him. Thank God that he alone is the lawgiver and judge and not us, not we. When we complain about our lives, about trials and our position in society, when we quarrel and fight with one another, giving authority to our passions and our desires, when we look down on fellow believers with contempt, even the slightest contempt, when we attempt to determine the course of our life and make plans apart from him, In effect, we are listening to the serpent's lie and deciding that we know better, that we alone are the lawgiver and the judge. So give thanks that he has not left us there. He's not left us there. So what do we need to do? Answer the question. Who do we think we are? Are we desperate sinners on our faces, not even willing to lift our heads and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner? Or are we these autonomous beings over here that says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Jesus said, this one went home justified. This is the one. Everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. That is the good news. And there's one reason for that. Jesus humbled himself. He took on your death. He took on your punishment. He took on the God that said, who do you think you are? as judge, and poured out all of his wrath on him so that you could hear, who do you think you are? Come to me. And then horizontally, how should we speak and act as those who will be judged by the royal law? How should we live toward other peoples, especially fellow believers? Should we speak evil of them or should we help them grow? And I have a concern here. This was a burden as I was preparing that this is not in the Scripture, but I think it's true inexperience, familiarity breeds contempt. As a church, we've been together for four and a half years, some of us, some less time. We've been in care groups together. We've gotten to know each other. We've had dinner at each other's houses. We've watched how we've raised each other's kids and how we've raised our own kids. We've watched various other things over time, and we've gotten to know each other, and we know that there's no one perfect, 
except on bad days, myself. Okay? We know that there are plenty of faults out there. And what can creep in as we do this is this temptation to start down this path of criticism and of judgment. And I just want to call us as a church to resist that. Resist the devil who would call us to say, who do you think you are? Set yourself up. Set your throne up. Don't be like this jerk over here on his face. That's not how God wants you to live. As a matter of fact, God wants to steal all of your stuff. So before one another, I just call out to us all to repent. I am so convicted over some things that I've been saying recently about certain people. Nobody in this church. Just other people out there. And it's just wrong. It's just evil. It's going down an evil path. It's forgetting that there's no distinction. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So my fellow believers are there at the foot of the cross, thanking God, rejoicing, repenting together, and then coming over and helping one another. There's plenty of room for help. We need to help each other. We need to watch each other carefully, but we need to do it as brothers and sisters. We need to do it as somebody that when one of my sons uh, had an issue with a lady at a playground one time, and this lady just got in his face because he had done something to her son. And in me, there just rose up this, how dare you talk to my son that way? We need to have that same attitude toward one another. Lord, I'm not going to let anybody, especially me, talk down to any one of my brothers or sisters here. So I just call us to a fresh commitment to that as we've gotten to know that we're all sinners, except for Craig. All of the rest of us know, even Craig is a sinner. So whoever knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it to him who has sinned, but the corollary is true as well. Whoever knows the right thing to do and does it by the grace of God, God will exalt him if we begin in this posture. He alone is God. He alone is the lawgiver and the judge and, listen, the Savior because he chose to use his prerogative to destroy and destroy his son. And he chose to use his prerogative to save and save us. I am not God. I'm his child. I'm created for his glory and saved by his grace. May the testimony of our lives be this, that what we speak and the way that we act shows forth this truth. He is God. We are not. We're his children. We're his beloved children. Let's pray. Father, we just rejoice that you've answered the question differently than we would as we perceive a challenge to our authority and our autonomy and our pride and we so often resist you and become your enemies when in fact you've made us your friends. While we're your enemy, you, we were your enemies, Lord, you gave yourself for us. So I just pray for each one here. Father, first that we would look up and we would see you in truth for who you are, the only lawgiver and judge who chose to save instead of destroying us. And I pray that we would look around the room, Lord, and see beloved brothers and sisters that we have the privilege of linking arms with and lifting up and encouraging. So let, Lord, let this be true of us, that not one discouraging word comes out of our mouth. Not one unhelpful word, but only what's helpful for building one another up. We give you praise that we get to do this. 
that we are your children by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.